Hello! This is a partial recording of the first edition of They Don't Make Them Like They Used To, a nostalgic movie show that's presented on Sunshine Radio, the hospital radio station for the Isle of Wight. My name is Tosin, and due to the fact that I forgot to press record when the thing started, we didn't have the whole show recorded, so I just wanted to record this intro to let you know what was going on. We started off by playing a track from a film that came from um, the 60s, and after that, we just carried on with the show. Please enjoy. Oh, one final thing. In the studio with me, I had Joe and Sean, who were helping me discuss the films that we spoke about. Well, did you guess what film it was? If you guessed Midnight Cowboys, starring John Voight and Dustin Hoffman, made in 1969, well done, you were right. So, Midnight Cowboys, Sean, what were your recollections of that uh, film? Recollections of Midnight Cowboy. Um, I, I know it went to rave reviews, but uh, it didn't really grab me that much. Uh-huh. Um, I think around about the same time it was up against Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, and obviously, um, a lot more action in... Butch Cassidy. So I guess, as Midnight Cable goes, John Voight. The acting was really, really good. Mm-hmm. So um, um, exceptional. Dustin Hoffman was was exceptional in that movie. I think, Joe. How about you? Well, I'm a big Dustin Hoffman fan, so anything with Dustin Hoffman in is is going to you know, grab me to a certain extent. But I think it's because it's John Schlesinger. It's a British director. It's yeah. It's 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 very much the sort of film he would make where. I don't know. It's not as good as it could be. It's, yeah, it's not as good as it could be. I think. I think for the time it was made, um, I think it was probably quite controversial, um, as 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 being a mainstream film. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, obviously, fabulous soundtrack, I guess, which is probably the most memorable <laughs> f- for me from the film. Well, I think one of the things that they say about the film is the that it sort of marked a shift in Hollywood. You mentioned about the fact it being. It was quite risque for a mainstream Street movie at that time. Yeah. And the fact that it was accepted in Oscars and it won quite a few Oscars. Mm-hmm. And people look at that as a time when things changed in Hollywood because the year before that, we had, um, I think it was Man for All Seasons. Man for All Seasons. It. And that, that was kind of like, you know, quite pious, almost like a religious movie. And then you have the next year, Midnight Cowboy, which is all about a guy who comes to New York and has to make a living as essentially a male prostitute. And people were like saying, oh my God, this is a bit of a shift. This shift. Is a, yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, is that kind of what you're talking about? Or? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, um, I'm not. Uh, there was, uh, I think, quite a lot of uh, controversial scenes in it because it, it, the use of drugs, um, and uh, at that time, yeah, it really. I, I guess it was op- an opening for some other directors to try some different stuff rather than the Hollywood razzmatazz and general niceties of movies. It does have that sort of weird feeling to it, right it, from the start, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. The, the calling out the name. Yeah, and and the repetition there it just yeah. it does seem quite surreal. Joe, Joe. Yeah, I, I I don't think the surreal aspect to it really ends, and I think that's part of what put me off it. I mean, I like surreal films, but I'm not a big John Voight fan. No. Is, that, is, that, <laughs> is that is that a bad thing to say? Uh, well, yeah, I'm not I'm not huge John Voight fan. Am I going to receive hate mail for that? John Voight's never really. Uh, but Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, oh yeah, that's that makes up for it. That well, makes up for it. No, I do. I do think that he is. He is extremely. He's brilliant in that film, and he's. It's one of the films sure. that's sort of like it was one of his star-making turns. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think. Well, because okay, the title of our show is "They Don't Make Them Like They Used To," and I think this film is one of those films that sort of shows 
like at the time when it was made, there was still quite a, there was still quite a bit of um, how do you say uh, experimentation to be had. People sure. were still like, oh, let's see what happens if we do this. Let's see what happens if we do that. And if if you compare that to today, what do you think about like? Um, okay. Um, well, I often think I I I like to obviously a big Western fan, and um, I think obviously forties, fifties, sixties was mainly the white hat, black hat. And uh, the, it was it was all really really nice, nice musical scores. All the good guy always wins, everything like that. And then uh, later they became with the with the spaghettis, I guess they became a bit more violent, a bit more action. There was a few grey areas. Started yeah. to blur the lines. Yeah, right, started to blur the lines a little bit. Mm. Um, but I think coming a bit more up to date, an exception to that rule, which went back to the sort of. John Wayne type westerns was um, a film called Silverado in 85 okay cool 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 I think you might be jumping ahead of yourself here man. okay sorry <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry listeners this is something that we go we're gonna have a bit where um, as you as we've said that the the whole idea of a show is they don't make him like they used to Sean has a little bit that he's prepared which is called the exception to the rule which we shall be talking about later where he talks about a film that might have been made after this heyday that we're looking at of the 70s but we still think it's good enough to be mentioned in the same breath as those films um, so, but a couple of things about Midnight Cowboy that I just wanted to highlight is, um, has anybody ever heard the phrase, well, I'm walking here, I'm walking, I'm walking. here. I'm wa- That's when Dustin Hoffman crosses the, crosses the road in front of the, the car. Yeah. yeah. It was something that actually, car. something that, because it's kind of, it's become the stereotypical view of New Yorkers that this is what they do, that all of them walk around going, I'm walking here. And I actually found it quite funny that it was, this was the film that started that off and Dustin Hoffman coined that phrase. And it's because he was so in his method acting groove that um, they'd actually closed off a road and said that, that he and John Voight were supposed to walk across the road. But a taxi driver ignored the lines that said that you're supposed to, that this road is closed off and just drove on and nearly ran Dustin Hoffman over. But he actually was so much in his character that he just hit the camera. I'm walking here. I'm walking. And that here. was his natural reaction. That was his natural, natural reaction. reaction. Yeah, and, and he became kept, and, he walked, and that's the shot that's in the final movie is of this taxi driver nearly killing Dustin <laughs> Hoffman and him just reacting to that. And I think it's it's one of those things. I think it was he was one of the first big sort of method people who came out and he was like, have a look at this. I'm going to be in character for the whole thing. I'm going to be annoying and no one's going to say anything, but it's going to end up with an absolutely brilliant, brilliant thing. And so, yeah, Joe, any final words on Midnight Cowboy? Um, only that it's, for me, it's it's a Dustin Hoffman show, like anything that Dustin Hoffman's in. Um, thank goodness he wasn't run over by that taxi, otherwise we wouldn't have had a hook, <laughs> would we? And how would we have managed without hook? <laughs> it would have been a very different kind of movie. <clears throat> a very different kind of movie that they don't make anymore like well hopefully not not a snuff movie or anything like that <laughs> all right and one of the things we're going to be doing each week we're going to be coming up with a whole bunch of, sorry viewers i'm talking to you now uh, or listeners rather uh, we're going to be coming up with a whole bunch of um clues which you can play along with at home and you know, quite frankly what I, the original idea was to come into the hospital and walk around, find out what you guys think, ask you guys questions, and have you guys play along with this <coughs> game that we're playing at that, um, where we give you a couple of clues and you have to figure out who the, either the film or the film star is, which Joe's gonna give in a second. But unfortunately, due to the norovirus, 
the hospital is on quarantine and we are not allowed to walk around it, unfortunately. I mean, I love you guys, but um, I've just had a chest infection and I do not want to go back there. So <laughs> hopefully next week we shall be seeing you in the hospital. Look forward to us just coming around, asking you about movies and all that kind of stuff. But with when it comes to the games, Joe has a couple of clues. Um, so Joe, would you like to just intro that for us? Tell us what this what kind of clue this is and who we're talking about here right i think uh, the more of these that i do in the future you're going to get a very clear um, idea of what sort of films i like and what sort of stars uh, <laughs> i have a lot of respect for um but it's it's obviously from uh, time gone by uh, but i'm going to try and link it to the future and to the present as much as possible with the clues okay so reservoir dogs and uh, free willy actor michael madsen called this particular star his role model okay uh, and inspiration to take up acting as a profession so there's not a lot to go on there but think of michael madsen's acting style okay think of you know his his sort of um the, the characters he likes to play okay and think who might have inspired him from you know, from a, the golden I, age of Hollywood. I think I have a pretty good idea. I think I've, we're, we're going to keep that. We're going to keep that on the boil because we've got a couple more clues to go. Okay. So this show is not just about us here in the studio just picking films and talking about things that we love. We also want to find out what it is that you think about, what think what it is, what your experiences are with movies. So I, as I said, would have come into the hospital and asked you, what is your favorite movie from the 60s or the 70s or the 50s? Give it to me. Let me know what film it is that you like. Unfortunately, wasn't able to do that this week, although I did grab a hold of somebody who has had a stint in the hospital. Um, uh, a very interesting gentleman called Bernard, Bernard Long, who told me a little bit about his favorite film that he can, re well, his favorite film that he can remember. Here's Bernard. This is, this is Bernard Long. And he's now nearly 80, but he's going back to the 1940s, well, late 1940s, when I used to bunk into the cinemas, and me and my mates, and um, one particular film that I remember was Zulu. And um, I really wanted to see this, but um, I um, went round the back door, got someone to let me in, by the toilets which was the emergency exit and I came in and um, I was walking around trying to find a seat and an attendant caught me and said what are you doing I said oh I'm looking for me seat I thought oh gee whiz I'm caught you know I don't know where's the seat so we paraded up and down she's got her torch in them days they used to go up the aisle with a torch so she paraded up and down with her torch and suddenly, my parents were sitting in a seat, and there was empty seats by them. And I went, oh, there it is. And I, God, gosh, you know, weren't I lucky? <laughs> so I sat next to them, but did I get told off when I <laughs> when they come out of the cinema that I'd bunked in? <laughs> but I did enjoy Zulu, the film, and that was in black and white in them days. <laughs> so, um... No, that was a good memory, I suppose, going way, way back in in my film era. But I'm not a film buff, I'm afraid to say. I'm just a jazz buff. <laughs> Thank you. And from Zulu, we have this.
Yes, and that was the legendary John Williams theme song for Zulu. Now, I don't know about you. Are you guys going to say something about Zulu? Ah, uh, Zulu. One, <laughs> one of my top films. One of my top films. Um, when I was about, uh, I must have been about 12, and um, in the days of cinema, when you could go to cinema, they used to have a thing called continuous performances, where you could go in and they would keep repeating the film so you could watch it over and over again. And I think it was one half term. This film had such an impact on me. Nice big 70mm Technicolor print. It's a huge screen with this huge film. Huge screen. And I sat in this continuous performance for three performances. I went in in the afternoon. I sat. <laughs> and Zulu's one of those films that it's just like you know, boys' own stuff, you know. Most people grew up, um, when I grew up, um, they had a, they'd had an uncle or, or a grandfather that had been in the army in the Second World War. And it was still very, during the... the 60s time it was still very much um you know you know this, this was a, a it was still still part of the consciousness it was yeah. still very very real very real yeah uh, i think i could probably quote most of the most of the lines from the film <laughs> as, as that music was going i was very, just thinking very that was quotable yeah. film yeah. Oh, the zulus <laughs> in overwhelming numbers not quite richard burton no not quite i can't be <laughs> richard burton and there's a there's a guy that could really talk richard burton Definitely. he was pretty Pretty and, uh, I like the whole Welsh connection there with yeah. the whole, you know, the Welshman making their last stand and Richard Burton doing the introduction. It's, uh... I, I think most of the guys weren't actually <clears throat> Welsh. Were they not? No. no. They were called the South Wales Borderers or um, the Warwickshire Regiment. Um, well, is but, that in real life or the That's real life. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, the characters, I think uh, some of the characters that um, were played as they were played in the movie were the families weren't particularly happy because... Um, particularly, I think there's one called Hook, mm. who's um, so he's not hiding in the kitchen for most of the film. He's like, yeah, yeah. Hooky, and um, <laughs> he, he he in fact, and another one called Hitch, and this guy called Hitch, who's supposed to be like a drunk. He actually uh, in the real in the real battle, he defended a small little room against with with two sick patients in it. So um, uh, what's it? I think there was twelve VCs one there. They'll, they go through them at the end, don't they? They, yeah. they actually list them in the film. And, uh, yeah. What's so. an EC? Uh, a Victoria Cross. Um, oh, this VC. Was like, VC. Yeah, VC. Sorry, yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, Stanley Baker as well. Outstanding. I mean, he produced it, I think, with Cy Enfield. Yeah. And um, it's 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 just a you it's, know, real... It's huge. Super, it's huge. People, it's huge. I think people sort of don't remember it as accurately, uh, uh, you know, do it the justice that it that it deserves they think of it you know the, the last stand you know the British mm -hmm. in this it's far off land yeah. but it actually is just a very very tense film and the build up to the attacks are absolutely mm -hmm. incredible there is an interesting fact and I think I was just I was just talking to Joe and I was saying Joe about in the film Gladiator yeah at the very beginning where uh, the Romans are taking on the Germanic tribes there is actually and you can hear it they've dubbed the film with the um, Zulu Zulu chants. They've actually taken the, the sound yeah, from the film Zulu. You need to listen well, to it. So, in, in Gladiator. In Gladiator. The at, the, Crow, at the beginning of Gladiator, the Russell Crowe Gladiator. Yeah. The first thing I do when I go home is stick Gladiator in and, and have a listen. You will. Yeah. I can't believe it. <laughs> it doesn't sound you like... You listen, you'll hear I'm it. You're going to have to. You'll yeah. hear it. You know, the, the funny thing about it is that I think with, with, um, with Zulu, I actually remember seeing it for the first time. I saw it in Nigeria in, uh, as I'll explain in a second, we didn't really have cinemas no. when I was growing up. So we just had, I only saw it on TV. But I remember it being the first time I'd seen that number of black people 
in a film are just kind of like, whoa, there's so many of them. <laughs> yeah. kind of the, the, the bit that I found, uh, this is one of the things I, I, I think of makes, that makes films just so powerful and like a power and everything. Is like I found myself rooting for the white guys. <laughs> just kind of like, so I'm watching this thing and like, if you go to the history of it, it gets all kind of like, you know, complicated, complicated. and all that kind of stuff and yeah. who's right and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But I'm sat down there in a house where my dad regularly would, he, if we're watching, my dad doesn't really like basketball. But he'll be watching a basketball game on TV. I'm asking, oh, Dad, you don't watch basketball. What, what team are you supporting? And he would say the team with the black guy on it. No. <laughs> so, so obviously he's watching Zulu and he's kind of like, yeah, go on Zulus. Get them, get them. Get them. <laughs> and you're like, hang on, it's Michael Caine. Whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's, it's, it's just one of those weird things that I find that what, what film has with you. Like you just kind of like, you go, yeah, yeah, obviously. Those guys should survive. <laughs> Actually, on about that, um, there's a, on the DVD, a special edition DVD. There's a commentary at the end, and um, I think Stanley was Baker was saying that um, the scenes that were filmed in South Africa, the actual uh, extras that were playing the Zulus, were not allowed to fraternise at all with any with any of the actors. And there's like keep... a river, the Mfusli with it, and they had to stay on the wrong side. Is that so that when the attacks come, they yeah. would actually be they wouldn't be familiar with the, the actors, no. and they'd, they'd actually be uh, scared? I, I think it was more to do with. Um, just the, the regime at the time, yeah, the apartheid at the time was, yeah. um, and the the hospital scenes were actually filmed in in um, one of the British studios. So the people who, who were playing in the hospital never actually got to go to South Africa. <laughs> well done, you're in Zulu, but unfortunately, <laughs> it's like you're in this massive film is being filmed in South Africa. Yay! <laughs> but not you. Yes, you will be in a warehouse in Reading. Reading, uh... that's it. <laughs> Oh, okay, cool. Anything else? Anything else to say on Zulu? Well, I think the, for me, the, the power of it comes in no small part from John Barry. Mm. Uh, I mean, what a, what a theme! Score. As we heard, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's powerful. It conjures up all kinds of images and all kinds of feelings from the movie, and just the scale of the forces that they were facing. And you slovenly soldier, rich. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do a Richard Burton impression. Cause oh, go on, you can do I, Richard Burton impression. You're so miserably. good. Give it no, a go. No, no, no. <laughs> That's a game that we're going to be with, we're going to be doing in later weeks. We're just gonna, right. I think we're just going. We should just get like you know quotes from Richard Burton movies. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then just try and do like a try and guess the movie by us doing a, a best Richard Burton impression. Oh, I, I, Cleopatra has some. Cleopatra. <laughs> I, I asked my mum. I said, out of all the Hollywood actors or all the actors, who would you like? And she looked and she said, Richard Burton. And I said, Richard Burton, why? What about, like, Rock Hudson or, yeah. or, or you know? Yeah. And she said, oh, it's the voice. It it's the voice. <laughs> it definitely is. Okay, okay, Richard Burton or Jay Mason, voice-wise, who wins for you? Uh, I'm Richard uh, Burton. Richard, Richard Burton yeah. must be, yeah. Okay. To- yeah. Total, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, good stuff, good stuff. All right, moving on. Um, Joe, yes, you got another clue for us. I have. Okay, so shall I recap the previous one or? or... Um, okay, if you recap the briefly. previous one, I okay. think. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that everybody might know who Michael Madison is. Right. Okay. But yeah, but just. To... Okay, Michael Madison was an actor in Reservoir Dogs, Free Willy. I think he was in Kill Bill, um, and Sin City. Mm. You know, he's, 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 he's makes makes films currently, <laughs> um, and he was inspired by this particular actor, which uh, I'm trying to hint towards uh he was inspired by him and he was his role model okay so the second clue was that this star briefly served in the u.s army during world war ii with service number three nine seven four four zero six eight he served from april the 12th to october the 11th 1945 and although they didn't really want to join the military they served 
Uh, they were discharged as a private first class, and they received a World War II Victory Medal. <laughs> so I'll give you the key oh. date. There. The key date. They're 1945. Served in the U.S. Army. Uh, received um, World War II Victory Medal, and was discharged as a private first class. Cool. All right. Now, everybody out there, all you guys in the hospital, I am. Um, I'm sorry, but it's just because. Oh. Number one, because of the virus, and number two, the fact that I'm yet to figure out how the phones work here, so that you can actually phone in. But I would love it in the future, in the weeks come to come, you can phone in and you can actually try and answer these questions. Um, yeah, because I'm pretty sure I know what it is. I mean, if you wanted to, you could try texting me on zero seven seven four eight seven zero one five two five. If you think you know what the answer is, the number again is zero seven seven four eight seven zero one five two five. If you think you know what the answer is, I'm going to get loads of texts saying it's too easy. It's too easy. Yeah, I might get loads of text. Um, I don't know. I might get loads of. I might have some people who actually like my voice and like you know want to meet up for a coffee or something like that. <laughs> well, I'll meet you up for a coffee. If you like. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's after the virus is over. That's all. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. All right. Cool. Um, so um, that's the the next clue. If you know what it is, do do please. If you know what it is, send something to Sunshine Radio. Go into our website, which is just sunshineradioiw.com, or text me telling me where, where you think it is. But I'm pretty sure I know who, who this person is. But we will wait until the final clue to find out. Okay. And now what, another thing that we're going to be doing on the show is we're going to, when I come around the hospital and when I come and meet you, I'm really, really interested to find out what your first trip to the cinema was, like what it was like. Because... As I said earlier, I mean, I grew up in Nigeria and we didn't have any cinemas that we had at some point, but they'd all fallen into disrepair. I actually remember one particular cinema called the Casino Cinema that we used to drive past every day on the way to school. And I just really wanted to go to the cinema and I kept asking whether we could go there only to find out that it had fallen into disrepair and it was a place that people just used. Like, you know, it wasn't being used as a cinema anywhere. People would use it as a market. People would use it, all this kind of stuff. So it wasn't until I was 16 that I finally got to go to the cinema. And I remember it vividly. I went to the Odeon in Swiss Cottage in London and I saw Dragonheart. And I am not ashamed of that. I love the fact that the first film I ever saw in a cinema was Sean Connery voicing a massive dragon. That is something to be proud of. For uh, all time. Really. I mean, honestly, it doesn't get yeah. better than that. There aren't Sean... many films with both Sean Connery and dragons in. There is one, and you watched it. <laughs> I know, one. And there will never be another film with Sean Connery voicing a dragon. <laughs> or Sean Connery and a dragon of any shape or form. Yeah. So I went and I asked somebody, but that was mine. That's like a modern thing. I want to know what it was like back in, like, you know, the heyday when things were different when you know people still served ice cream in the middle of a film i want to know what it was like when somebody went there so i went and spoke to mary and asked her what her first trip to the cinema was like this is what mary said um the first film i can remember going to see would have probably been at a cinema either in romford or ilford in essex because that's where the main cinemas were and i would have gone with my parents and I can remember seeing Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz. And the first the thing that always stays in my memory is the moment when it goes from a black and white film into colour. And I thought that was quite magical. Somewhere over the
it really doesn't get better than that. Quite frankly, I actually feel bad saying anything after something like that. I mean, I think I almost wish we'd done that last so we could just sort of say, that's it, good night, see you guys, good night, <laughs> mm-hmm. see you later, goodbye. Judy Garland has just enough said, nothing else to be said. <laughs> what do you guys think? Come on, tell me, Wizard of Oz, Judy Garland. Okay, Wizard of Oz, I mean, at the time it must have been, been fabulous. I mean, this was 1939, and I think Technicolor was a was a new process or relatively new process as there'd been Robin Hood 38 before with Errol Flynn, one of my faves. Um, and uh, I think Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And uh, the film starts off in black and white, Kansas. And then suddenly you're transported into this glorious, glorious technicolour place with munchkins and colours. And yeah, it must have just been, for that time, with the world sliding into war, it must have been... Um, you know, quite phenomenal for people to go and watch, I think. Yeah, 1939, that must have uh, been quite something. Yeah, there's... Um, what I was going to say was quite interesting. I think Diana Durbin was um, up up for the role of Judy Garland. Um, and, for uh, the role of Dorothy. Yeah, for the yeah. role of Dorothy. And I think... I mean, this may be just a, a, a thing I read somewhere, and I could be totally wrong, but I think because Clark... The, the, he wanted Clark Gable in the movie... To, oh, play, yeah? to play one of the characters, either the Scarecrow or the um, Tin Man. Um, but obviously, with Gone with the Wind, um, he was already taken. Yeah. So, I mean, but, yeah, a terrific voice. Terrific voice for Judy Garland. Um, yeah. And I think there's been a few few sort of spin-offs about the Oz world that Joe could probably well, tell you about. Well, I was just thinking, it's 75 years ago. How many films from 75 years ago, you, you know, they're making sequels to today? 75-year-old <laughs> uh, uh, movie, and uh, last year they had a big-budget sequel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, that, that, Oz the Great and Powerful. That's the sort of effect that it's had on, on the one. It's on every Christmas, and talk about influential. But, yeah, I mean, even even when I was young, there was a, a film called Return to Oz, a Disney film called Return to Oz, which I thought was really, really weird at the time, which was set in the world of Oz and inspired. It's, it's very different. It's very different. The Return to Oz is very, very different. It's quite it's quite a lot darker and stuff, isn't it? But it just assumed that you'd seen the original, and it needed, it didn't need to explain much because everyone has seen the original. It's, it's just a film you take as given, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, did Michael Jackson make... He did. Uh, he did the Wiz, didn't he? Yeah, the they, they did. A, they did an R&B musical version of of the of the Wizard of Oz called the Wiz. It was the Wiz, yeah, with Diana Ross as Dorothy. Uh-huh. That's right. Which is, which is, it was. I think it was one of those things that was a bit of a vanity project because you think Dorothy's supposed to be a young girl and you have Diana Ross, <laughs> who was possibly the oldest <laughs> member of the cast. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it was. I don't think they were trying to keep it that consistent. Yeah, really. yeah, no. But it, it did. It did. Pre- it did. Give you some brilliant songs like that's where he's on down, he's on down the road. Comes from. Sorry, but that song alone is enough of a reason to make that film. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, to- totally agree. And Richard Pryor is enough of a reason for them to perhaps not have made that. Film. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I think back to the original. Um, I remember my dad because he would have been born. He was born 1929, so so he'd have been 10 years old when this film came out. And I remember him saying. Oh yeah, had a, such a such a big impact in him. You know, my my father, and he used to be able to n- name all the characters. He'd say, "Oh yeah, Ray Bolger played, I believe, um, Ray Bolger was the lion." Was and, the lion. And um, he he used to know all the characters. Uh, he could name them all. <laughs> yeah, but so, so 
But okay, you know, in there, Mary was talking about the bit where the film went from black and white to color. To color. And this is one of the things that I that makes me actually think about uh, about this show. Why uh, why I actually thought about like let's do this thing. Let's talk about films from then because. In a way, being born when I was born, I was born in 1980, and these things had happened. So it's like you, you hear about the first time when they when they actually had films, and they had this they had the, one of the first films where there was a train coming towards the screen. Oh yeah! And people were all freaked out, and people were running out of the way because they thought that the train was going to break out of the screen and crash into the French cinema. Film? It it was French. It was French. Uh, I can't remember. It was something Brothers. Uh, um, was it the Lumiere Brothers? It was Lumiere the Lumiere Brothers. Brothers yeah. And I so think it was it's actually called it was, train it was, arriving at the station. Yeah. They were very original with their, their right. titles back. It then. Was, because that's all it was. It was yeah. just they just put the camera at the station and they just they were just showing this is what you can do with cameras and people were running out of the way and all that kind of stuff. And I think because nowadays you take we can be very blasé about color and about special effects and all that kind of stuff. And the idea that you could, I, I feel I feel a bit cheated because I feel I never I'm never going to get that chance to sit in a cinema. And be watching a black and white movie, and all of a sudden it turns color, and I'm like, "What the? What's going on?" They tried exactly the same effect with the sequel last year, with um, the, the great and powerful Oz. Yeah, um, and then they they tried to recapture it, and obviously everyone's seen color before, so it was a nice touch. It was a nice yeah, story I, back I, to the I, original. I, I did like it. It's a great touch. But, yeah. yeah, but I mean, yeah. even if, imagine what happened. Imagine what it must have been like to see flying monkeys for the first yeah, time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, for That's real. No, but I'd, but okay. What one of the things I think it's because I think it's also part of the part of this whole they don't make them like they used to think mm-hmm. is that magical effect that you had of cinema back then that magical effect. But nowadays a lot of stuff has been tried, a lot of stuff has been done, and it's not like it doesn't quite have it. But can you think of anything that maybe for later generations was the turning from black and white to color effect yeah. that gave you that magical effect that you leave the cinema and you're like, oh my word, that oh. was amazing. For me, it's very, very obvious. I'm going to give, give my age away a little bit now, but when I was uh, quite a bit younger, I saw Jurassic Park at the <laughs> cinema uh, down in Newport, um, the old uh, picture drone. Uh, 1993, I was but a child and it changed my life. And I, I really, really did. It completely changed my life because... Um, you'd seen special effects in films before you'd seen you know puppets and, and things like that and then suddenly you had real dinosaurs on the screen chasing mm. you and uh, eating people <laughs> and it was something else I mean it was it was equal parts terrifying and, and equal parts magical and, and fantastic and uh, it's the Spielberg touch I suppose but but to see dinosaurs come alive on screen as a as a seven-year-old is that uh, must be pretty phenomenal it was something else yeah well, any, uh, anything, Joe, that you can think of for later generations that would have had that sort of magical effect? Um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, I can't think of anything offhand. I mean, um, I, I, I remember the, the uh, Cinemascope uh, and um, Cinerama. Mm-hmm. So we did some Cinerama films, which was because, obviously, they uh, tried what, to what compete was, with the what TV. What was Cinemascope and what was Cinerama? Um, it was, uh, generally speaking, it was where the screen was more letterbox. I think on TV nowadays, you see some letterbox screens. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when a film was transferred to TV, it used to be pan and scan, oh, where yeah. if, like myself and Joe were talking, the camera would go to Joe yeah. and then to me. The, and the frame would always be moving. Moved, yeah. It wasn't as it was okay, intended. So, so essentially, if, this, <clears throat> if this, it was taken from the cinema to the TV, you were never seen the full picture. You were never seen the full picture. The, picture, so, the, picture yeah. the TV just wasn't big enough. Yeah. yeah. And Cinerama was actually, when it first came in, it was a process with three cameras shot at the same time. 
So and and it was a big big wraparound. So what? So, so you had like essentially three screens in the cinema. N- on on some occasions. Uh, I think they changed it afterwards to Cinerama, just one camera, but it used to be three cameras. They shot with three cameras. I think the first one was How the West was one. Oh, yeah. And sometimes if they play it on Turner Classic Movies, you can actually see the little, as, as he's going down the river, you can actually see different shots of crossovers, yeah, because it's slightly lighter. But it used to, I mean... After Gladiator, I'm getting that DVD <laughs> out as well. I've got to do tonight. And um, I, I think they were about... Most of the Cinerama, when it opened, it was, um, ro- like you were saying, there were the roller coasters and the um, trains uh, and rides and, and white-knuckle rides. And I think in a couple of Cinerama films, um, which, where they only used the one-camera process, like um, Custer of the West, they always had for some... And Battle of the Bulge. Yeah. Battle of the Bulge. And they always have, like, one scene where it would either be a runaway train or... or chap was caught on a log flume um so yeah i think i think probably the biggest impact would have been the the technoscope cinemascope they, cinerama style. they keep trying to, to to do things to get people into 3D. cinemas more yeah 3d and imax um IMAX. So you get you get all these things that they're trying to do to replicate that massive jump from black and white to color or from silent to yeah. to sound but after it hasn't got a good enough story if it's not very well written uh, it can be an IMAX the screen can be a hundred times as big and it's not, not going to be as that's for sure that's one of the reasons why I actually reckon when I, when it comes to like you know they don't make it like a, make it like it used to I think back then they had less toys to play with so they had to focus a lot more on just the basics yeah. and like let's give you a story that is going to capture the imagination let's give you this uh, we don't have any special effects we don't have any colour <coughs> we don't have any of that stuff we just have good old-fashioned honest storytelling to actually give to you and I, and I think nowadays the guys who get it right are the people who actually manage to remember that but then use the technology to move things forward like yeah. I think for me that that sort of magical moment was probably in the first five minutes of the matrix mm. uh, matrix yeah the first five minutes of the matrix the bit where I she think jumped. we can manage one little girl <laughs> Exactly. The bit where she jumps up in the air and then the camera moves round. Yeah. I just remember like everybody sat in the cinema going, What? How did you do that? (laughs) The camera's moving, but she's not. It's like, What What? was going on? (laughs) And everybody just sort of like left that film thinking, Okay, my mind has just been blown. And I think it's it's great when people, you get filmmakers who understand that and just give you those little things like in a Jurassic Park or something like that. Okay, um, Joe, I think it's about time for your next clue. Okay, all right. Uh, I shan't go over the first one. It, um, the second one, he was in the Army. Yeah. Um, uh, US Army. The third one, okay. You might... this. You would might you might get this from mm. this one, actually, Sean. Possibly. Okay, this particular star turned down the leading role in Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch, which was uh, another ni- 1969 film. Um, uh, the role obviously went to William Holden, uh, but that was only after it had been turned down by this particular mm. star that we're all trying to guess. <laughs> Sam Peckinpah's masterpiece, The Wild Bunch, could have been quite different if the original person offered the role had accepted. Who was the original person? I think it would have been... Okay. No, yeah, yeah. But, um, okay, okay. I won't say yet. Yeah, no, I wasn't going Do you have an idea? But, but um, No, I'm just saying The Wild Bunch is probably... Uh, that, that's probably my top movie of all time, mm. um, which perhaps I'll explain another time why. But yeah. I, I, I really, really thought about it, and The Wild Bunch is... Um, and it would have been a totally, totally different film if I think it's the 
yeah, person I'm thinking of. You think it is, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I think we're gonna we're gonna put uh, we're gonna put um, ourselves and everybody else out of their misery after one more clue. Okay. We'll do that. We'll do that in a sec. But I'm just gonna give one more chance, just on the off chance if there's anybody who is listening and thinking, I know who that person is. I have a pretty good idea who this person is. To text um, text in on zero seven seven four eight seven zero one five two five. That's zero seven seven four eight. Seven zero one five two five. After the next clue, we're going to start just guessing randomly in the studio and see whether we got it right. <laughs> okay, and now um, onto it. This is going to be a regu- another regular feature we have, which is going to be called exceptions to the rule. Once again, that's exceptions to the rule. Obviously, we've been talking about they don't make them like they used to, and Sean is going to be coming up with films that he thinks look. This is a film. It might not be made in that time, but. This is an exception to the rule. Of, it could have been. It could have been. been. It could have been. This is somebody who was born out of their time and made a film that could that stands in the echelon of cinema with all the greats. Never went uh, whatever time period. So, Sean, please take it away. Tell us. Okay. Well, um, I think during the forties, fifties, sixties, westerns were very, very much um, black and white. You had the good guys, the bad guys, the good bunch, the bad bunch, uh, the, the goody always. The goodies always won, um, and uh, then towards the the later sixties, obviously with the spaghettis and that, it became much more grey and anti-heroes, and mm-hmm. and I think Hollywood tried a couple, which is what we we're talking about, the Wild Bunch, um, uh, and they became very quite violent, and then they they lost they lost popularity i think westerns um and then by 85 there was a, a movie called silverado i don't think it went to very good reviews mm. um but it was just it had the music it had the scenery it had the um the good guys the bad guys the good guys win a few good characters in there um and uh uh, John Cleese pops up as a sheriff, so uh, 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 as he of, should in every film. As he should in every film. <laughs> that was a bit, a bit of an odd casting, John but was yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He plays the sheriff, um, and it was just um, it, it went back to that uh, heyday of of good guy, bad guy westerns. Yeah. Um, and uh, although I think some people say Star Wars was was probably a western, what do you think, of, Joe? Well, a lot of films are westerns, aren't they? They are a lot of films are westerns. Um, yeah. Well. Uh, Assault on Precinct 13, I think we talked about that earlier on, weren't we? We were, yeah. It's a terrific, terrific movie. Siege, the Siege of a police station, it could be the Siege of a Town. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's going to be another one of those exceptions to the rule. Oh no, that was actually made in the 70s, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Seven, yeah. That was uh, that was um, 76, uh, 78, I think. John Carpenter. Assault on Precinct 13, watch this space, it's probably going to be being spoken about in weeks to come. Yeah, play, if we can play some music from that, that would make my day. Okay, and so... So, uh, so Silverado, that was Kevin Costner, wasn't it's it? Kevin Costner, yeah. Kevin Costner was in there, um, and uh, he he made some other good films. I think about around about the same time, Dancers with Wolves came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't that long after, was it? No, a couple of years. Yeah, but yeah. then it went back to um, being quite violent with um, Wyatt Earp and uh, Tombstone. Tombstone. Another around the same time. Yeah. Then you went into your, your Unforgiven. 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 Yeah, yeah. See that—that's very much a different type yeah, of western, isn't it? For sure, it? it is very different. <clears throat> yeah. You know, apparently they've just remade that as a Japanese movie. 
Uh, I, I, I think I did hear something. Yeah, Unforgiven. They've remade Unforgiven as a Japanese movie, oh, and it's, wow. it's called Unforgiven. Yeah. But it's like a Japanese theme with samurais instead of like you know the Wild West and yeah. all that kind of stuff. It's apparently it's it's quite it's quite a good thing to watch. Things have gone full circle because an awful lot of westerns are based on Kurosawa films, aren't they? Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's gone right back round again. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's that's what that's what everyone's saying about it. That's what everyone's. Uh, put, Okay, so um, Silverado, you would recommend if people haven't seen it. If people haven't seen it, I, I, I don't think it did particularly well at the box office, and um, which means it's probably quite good. It, yeah, it's generally <laughs> it's generally quite good. So, so that's worth a watch if you get a chance to see it because it's it it's good. Um, you know, good guys, bad guys, good guys win. Okay, so Sean was talking about the music. Sean was just talking about the music in Silverado. Unfortunately, we don't have any music from Silverado, but instead we have this, which is from one of my favorite westerns. It starts off slow, but it'll get there eventually. That was essentially our show. Um, hope you enjoyed it. We are going to be doing it every week. Um, the hospital radio cannot be heard outside of the hospital, so we will be doing this podcast each week just to keep you up on what actually happened. If you didn't know, that was Paint Your Wagon. The song was um, I'm On My Way From Paint Your Wagon, uh, the Western musical, which is probably the only chance you're ever going to see to see two of the classic hard men of cinema, Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood, singing their hearts out on screen. Please go find that film, Paint Your Wagon. Thank you for joining us for this. Thank you for listening all the way to this point. And um, hopefully we'll, you'll hear our voices on yet another podcast in the weeks to come. Hope to see you then. Bye.